0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us once again. What a big week of footy. We've got lots of results, lots of things to talk about. We're starting to finally kind of see the shape of the ladder, which is very, very exciting. There's heaps of stuff to talk about, so We've got to to crack into it. We've got to start having a little chat. But before we begin, I wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. There's no Anna Harrington again this week, so it's me and Marnie Vinyl. We are ready to take you through this round of action If Again, it was another one that felt like it was a 1,000 years ago when it started because we've had footy on basically five out of six days or something ridiculous like that. But how exciting for us that we got to watch all that footy goodness. So let's quickly look through the results that were. We started things off with Frio beating Collingwood by 31 points in a huge result. The Giants defeated the Bulldogs by 21 in their return to footy post-COVID. Adelaide beat Melbourne by 14, which was another eyebrow-raising clash, I would say. Brisbane beat the Cats by two in what was an absolute nail-biter. North defeated Carlton by 30. Gold Coast, again, another nail-biter, got the Chockeys over Richmond by five points. And we had a game on Tuesday night with Frio and the Dogs playing once again. This time it was Freo by a straight kick. So got what a round, what a whole bunch of action, Let's talk about it. We need to start with the the two games that we flagged last week between the top four, so the Melbourne Adelaide game and the Frio Collingwood game. They went exactly how I thought they were gonna go and how I tipped them, which was good for me and my tips personally. But did they go the way you expected them to, Money?
0: Marissa, we tipped the same teams, and I was very excited to the get both of those wins on the board. Yeah, so we started with Frio and Collingwood, which does feel like a century ago, especially because we ended the round with another Frio game and another Frio win. But with Freo Collingwood, Frio just seemed to have extra legs, extra bodies in terms of the amount of running that was done and the amount of pressure that was given. Frio just they just seemed to be just that one step above Collingwood, and Collingwood couldn't really get the ball on with, you know, get hands to the ball. And when they did, they couldn't really do much with it because Frio just got it straight back. You know, you've got Keao Bowers who will just get that ball straight back off you if you've got it. So, yeah, they really cemented themselves as one of the top sides. For Collingwood, though, I think that potentially this loss could be good for them. I think it's dangerous when teams, especially at the start of the season, are touted as flag contenders and they just get an undefeated Run, especially when they're going up against maybe some of the teams at the lower end of the ladder. So to play one of the top teams, lose by a significant enough margin that really shows them their problem areas, areas to work at. And especially because they've had some of their key players like Brie Davy taken out of the contest, they have to now work out how to play without her. Steph Kiochi is still out; she'll be coming back, but they need to work out how to account for these players and Frio show them what can happen without them. And so I think this might be good for Collingwood. It could also just light a little fire under them. They can come back harder and stronger. And the good thing about Collingwood losing as well is that as Britt Benici was saying on uh, the Credits of the Girls podcast earlier this week, with Collingwood, they treat every win and every loss as that's done. Now we have to move on to the next one. So I don't think that they are going to be ruminating too much about this loss. I think they're really just going to be moving on to the next one. So hopefully for them, it will just it'll spur them to go even further. With Crows and Melbourne and the other game that people really had eyes on when we were going into the, this round, two of the other top sides I wasn't sure how it was going to play out. So even though I tipped Crows, I was not confident that they were going to get the win, but by the second quarter, by halftime, it really looked like they were just dominant and running all over Melbourne. Fourth quarter, as we saw in the previous round, Melbourne just came out firing in the fourth quarter against Saints. They kicked six goals that were unanswered. I was really worried that they were going to do that again against the Crows. Worried because they tipped the Crows, and I was also kind of cheering for them. Um, but they, but Crows still managed to get the win, which was kind of a, a big exhale. I think when the final siren, siren sounded in that game, you've got to talk about how electric Erin Phillips is. What a remarkable player. I think every season we're like, oh, she's at the top of her game. Like this is it. But then the season following, she goes even further. She's kicked three goals. And the thing as well, She's not the only key forward the the Crows have. She's not their only goal kicker. So to kick three goals when she's in such a remarkable and strong lineup is so impressive. With that game, I also want to talk about how strong Ebony Marinoff and Anne Hatchard were. They just have so much dominance over that ball. They have so much control, so much composure, and... Talking a bit ahead because we'll get to the games we're looking forward to, but I'm so excited to see those two. No, they don't play Blues, do they? Yes, they do. Talking a bit ahead, I'm so excited to see Marinoff and Hatchard go to -to toe-to-toe with Prosparcus, Maddie that is, um, when they play the Blues the next week.
1: Yeah, I think it was so fascinating watching these two games and what they kind of now mean for the ladder and the top four and also just the way we look at the kind of season trajectories for this team because it was obvious that you know they were all going up these four teams but now we have a real sense of where they're actually at in a way um just on Collingwood frio frio's pressure we know that they're at tackling side it's it's you repeat yourself so often and it's such an obvious thing to say but they're just so good at it and obviously Kiara Bowers leads from the front in that respect is so so good and that's what really restricted Collingwood in an attacking sense but also in a defensive sense because we know that they have a the pies have a good defensive structure but you can only kind of hold on for so long if that pressure is relentless. And that's exactly what it was from Freo. So they were fantastic. Freo won the inside 50s 41 to 10, which I think really tells you a massive story. Eight marks inside 50 to none. It was just constant, relentless knocking on that door. And if you're not hard enough, basically it's going to open. So that was really, really fascinating. I think you're right. I I like Britt Manici's comments and I think it's a really positive mindset to adopt in general, but also in a season as short as the AFLW because you can't, you cannot be ruining or thinking or spending any more time on a result than you have because you just don't have time basically. The season's too short for you to be kind of doing a panic about one loss. So We'll see how they do bounce back. We hope that they bounce back, but it's going to be really, really important to see kind of what they do in this next game. Adelaide-Melbourne, again, I I wasn't super surprised, mainly because my theory came true. If, if my theory had not come true, I would have been surprised. But I, and I think I explained it a little bit on the pod last week, with Melbourne, they kind of, were on level-ish pegging with teams and then blew them away in the last quarter. They're a very strong last quarter side. It, we've seen that against the Dogs in the opening round. We saw that against St Kilda. They kind of just open the damn wall in that last quarter and really blast away. But Adelaide are uh, a bit stronger than the, the Saints and the Dogs, to be fair. And I think it was uh, Crows coach... Matt Clark literally said, if we could get the jump on them in the first quarter and kind of build that lead up, we could be in here. And so for three quarters, the Crows just kind of went at the Ds. So then by the time the Ds did come good in the last quarter, which is a pattern we're kind of starting to see emerge, it was too late. They had run out of time. Daisy Pierce was excellent in that final quarter, but it just wasn't enough because the Crows knew that they had already done the work in order to kind of stop Melbourne from getting the jump on them. So I'm interested in how Melbourne kind of bounced back from this because I think in a way Adelaide has kind of exposed a uh, maybe large flaw in their kind of game plan. And if other teams are strong enough and smart enough to pick that, what does that actually mean for the D's flag tilt? I don't know. Yeah. If,
0: and I also don't think that you can have a top side that only really comes into their form in the final quarter. That's not going to win you the flag. I also want to mention because I completely forgot to mention this in when I was talking about Adelaide, but Rochelle Martin got a goal. She's one of my favorite players. To watch her get a goal just made me so excited and so happy. I don't think she gets talking about talked about enough. She is so dominant and she has so much control over that ball. Also, uh, her sister Hannah Button had a great game. But, yeah, I'm sorry to heart back to the Crows. I promise this won't be a Crows-heavy pod, but um, but I was so excited to see Martin get
1: a goal. It's good. We've got to balance out the Melbourne bias with a little bit of love for the other states. Um but- That's what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. But we we had a little chat about it before we hit record about how obviously these results have now started to shape the ladder. And now that we are technically four rounds in, we're starting to see some kind of shape into what the teams or which teams are doing well, which teams sort of aren't. So I know you had some thoughts on what the ladder looks like at the moment, but also how we assess this ladder in context. So did you want to talk to us a little bit about what the ladder looks like and the kind of divide that is starting to emerge in, in this table?
0: Yeah, and heading into round five, um, we're halfway through the season, which feels wild. And I was like, I don't, I don't even think that's right. Like I have to check myself so much. It's like halfway through the season. That is just something else. But yes, so halfway through the season, we are starting to see this ladder really take shape. I think the top six have really cemented themselves because these teams could all be in the grand final in my mind. You can see Freo there, Crows there, Melbourne there, North there, Collingwood, and of course the Lions. And what's really interesting about that as well is Freo are on top, but they've played five games, whereas Brisbane are at six and they've only played three games. So Brisbane could very much be in the top two, we just haven't seen enough of them yet. What's really interesting as well about this top six is North are now in the top four. So for the start of the season, I think we've been talking about Frio, Crows, Melbourne, and Collingwood as the top four. Now the Kangas are in there. Collingwood are currently out, but that's going to be really interesting to see how that tussles out. When we talk about the latter, I did, I had such a little giggle uh, at the Frio Bulldogs game on Tuesday night because one of the commentators, when it was getting close, one of the commentators said, oh, if it's going to be a draw, that's really going to make this ladder higgledy-piggledy. Like, have you seen the ladder? Frio are on five games. You've got four teams on three games. The whole thing is like out of whack and it's going to be out of whack, I think, until we get to the finals with all these fixture changes, with all these games that are being postponed. And given that, it's really hard to know how these teams are actually faring in relation to each other and relation to the competition because I think from the outset you look at that and you're like, ooh, Lions at six, that's interesting. But as I said, they've only played three games. Also on the ladder, Suns at seventh makes me so excited. I just want to call myself out for not having enough faith in them when we went into the season when we were doing all of our round previews. In every single one of us had the Suns as wooden spooners. I'm sorry, Suns, you're doing great, especially, you know, with Bahana, with Perkins, with Road Bottom. I'm so sorry, Suns, you are, it's so exciting to see you be such a competitive side and right there on the cuffs of the six is such an exciting place for the Suns to be. I'm hoping we can see Geelong climb a bit. They're at 11. They have had all losses, but they don't feel like big losses and Also, when it comes to such a short season, percentage matters a lot. Geelong have lost by small margins. So hopefully if they can start getting some wins under their belt, they can start climbing. It's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And we're not going to have a good idea until we get, you know, to the end of it, really.
1: It's so interesting. We were having a chat about how COVID is obviously wreaking havoc on people physically on the league logistically but the way it's now manifesting itself in the ladder and how we read the ladder is just so fascinating like we were talking about is there a clear divide but clear divide between the top sides and the bottom sides you would say yes you know we've still got two undefeated teams and four winless teams but those four winless teams you know Geelong's the only one that's played four games the rest have played three so it's you obviously have their performances to assess them on, but it's a much smaller sample size than some of the other teams. So it's like, yes, there is a divide, but is it as big as we think it is? We can't really find out until we see these games. So it's something that we're obviously going to keep an eye on and suss and evaluate as we get more games under the belt and the, the matches played starts to reach some equ- equilibrium between the teams, but it's just a really fascinating thing to think about as we approach the halfway point of the season I I feel bad that we keep mentioning it because it's like no don't remind me that we're nearly done disgusting awful so we'll talk about some happier things like who impressed us this round so money who impressed you this round
0: I felt when I was thinking about this I've really struggled because so many so many players so many teams just so much impressed me from this round I will I just mentioned it but Tara Bahana and Sarah Perkins uh, for the Suns and their tee up, them as a pair, were just so exciting to watch. If they weren't scoring the goal, they were helping their teammates score the goal. My favourite moment was when Sarah Perkins went to kick it to Tara Bahana, went over ahead and then got a goal. Like, if that's not teamwork coming through with the goods, what is? It was one of the most exciting moments. Geelong, they're so ready for their win. But to lose to Brizzy by two points should be it's just it should be counted as a win under their belt. I think that they're, you know, they're so done with these such close and such strong losses. I think they really need a win. They deserve it. I hope it happens soon. But them as a side, just going from strength to strength in my mind. And now that they've got Chloe Shear really kind of presenting herself as their leading goal kicker or a goal kicker in that forward line, which has previously been a bit of a pain point for that side. It's that's the pieces really seem to be coming together. So Geelong sums. And I'll just quickly say that I was so impressed by the Crows. This is not a Crows podcast, but I'm so excited. <laughs> they were so good.
1: They were, they deserve the credit. Like it, it's not unwarranted praise for the Crows. Uh, it, again it feels kind of obvious to say Frio were just so impressive. Haley Miller's snap like 45 meters out almost from the brown boundary. oh my god, incredible, amazing absolutely loved to see it. There are a few other goals and goal kickers I suppose that's that's the theme of who impressed me this week. Darcy Vesio scoring their first goal for the season. We love to Darcy it. Ah uh, well, yes. where Did you get that one from Marissa? <laughs> Some woman on Twitter tweeted it, you know, it was funny <laughs> We was do Marnie. love to
0: see it.
1: We also love a, a terrible pun, so forgive us for those of you listening at home or wherever you may be listening to us, but we do love to see it. It was important for their season, and I think it's important for Carlton that they get on the scoreboard and really get things um, ticking over. The Giants. The Giants win against the Bulldogs. It impressed me. But there's a but. So I'll first talk about why it impressed me. They, they were shocking last week. They were not good and Coach Alan McConnell said as much. It was not great from them. So they needed to respond. And I think there was a little element of luck in that they came up against a side that had not played a game in 20 days and was heavily hit by COVID. And then obviously there's rustiness there. But the Giants do deserve some credit for coming out, coming out strong. The decision to put Lou Stevenson forward was apparently a stroke of genius because all of a sudden the Giants weren't relying on Cora Staunton to score goals. You had Lou Stevenson kicking two. You had Nicola Barr just popping up everywhere, kicking them for fun. So all of a sudden, this Giants train just looked a lot less one dimensional. And it was a really Could you in- say that um could you say that Nicola Barr raised the bar? I would say she raised the bar. Oh, my God, people are going to stop listening to us if we continue this. But she did. She raised the bar and the Giants as a whole raised the bar. It was really impressive. It was really important. I'm really interested to see if the the Lou Stevenson experiment continues into next week, if that's a permanent solution or if it was a kind of one-hit wonder. The but is, as I mentioned, the dog's literally hadn't played in 20 days there was going to be rustiness as a lot of this side came back from COVID we spoke about it last week COVID takes a toll on you even you know the the fittest most professional athlete is still gonna feel some effects you know um illness doesn't discriminate in that way so for me there's a little bit of not an asterisk but I'm really interested to see if the Giants can replicate that win and if this is the, the turning point, the building point for their season or if this really was just a kind of one-hit wonder um, situation. I'm glad you mentioned Chloe Shear. I thought she was excellent. Perkins and Bahana as well. Absolutely loved to see them. But there was a team that didn't really impress us this week. So we're going to change tack a little bit here. Who didn't impress us this week, Marnie?
0: Well, I think that a team that we've for this season had a little bit of hmm about is Carlton. And I think, you know, there is a lot of talk that they are being a bit disappointing with what was considered to be potentially a good Season and they're just not really stepping up in the way that some people might have thought. They're not getting enough goals on the board. They're not having enough attacking pressure. But a lot of concessions do need to be made. I mean, Carlton touched down at Tullamarine Airport just after 4 a.m. on Wednesday after their loss to Brisbane. I don't think anyone wants to be awake at 4 a.m. on a Wednesday, let alone after a game and then you're heading into another round plus you're semi-professional athletes, so you've got to go to work. That's not a schedule that works with this competition where it currently sits. And so I do think a lot of concessions need to be made around, well, yeah, they're not really performing, but can we expect them to? And that goes for all teams, you know, across this competition that are dealing with COVID complications and fixture changes and being a semi-professional league so I do want to state that, but also it it is interesting that Carlton's game plan just doesn't really seem to be working. I know that I've heard the commentators say that they are just being a little bit too cute so that they're having that kind of short game where they're really just kicking small kicks to each other. They're trying to have a lot of small movement to get it up the ground and that's just not working, especially when you've got sides with such strong pressure. Like that's not gonna work when you go against a side like Lions. It's not gonna work when you go up against North. So yeah, few question marks over Carlton. And there has been a lot of talk of them being a bit disappointing, uh, coming from their fan bases. I've seen that a bit on social media. So hopefully they can get into a groove soon, you know, and Darcy Vessio's goal, amazing. So exciting. They look so relieved. After that goal, like they were so excited to have it, but there was also an element I think you could see of relief of yes, I finally got a goal on the board. When you're doing that in round four, I don't know. I feel like it, it, it should maybe should have come a bit earlier. But again, COVID concessions.
1: There absolutely would be relief, especially when you are the forward and if you're not kicking the goals, it's like, what, what is my purpose here if I, the goal kicker, am not? Kicking goals, um, I thought it was really interesting about the the short kicking game and being too cute. I think North either you know did their research pre-game or figured it out pretty quickly in-game and post-match. Daniel Halford, the Carlton coach, made note of the fact that the ruse had forty-four intercept marks. They just read these kicks for filth. They absolutely stopped Carlton in their tracks, and it was effective. And it was effective, obviously, as well, because the Roos are a strong, classy side. They obviously deserve some credit here. It was a good, important win for them. They've now entered our kind of minds as part of that top four conversation. So it was a really important win for them and a really strong win for them in how they kind of just read Carlton and made sure that they weren't able to do the cute thing. They made sure that it didn't work. Going back slightly to the Blues having to fly in at 4am. The the Dogs had a similar situation where they had to fly out the same day as their game against the Giants. And Nathan Burke made comments about it saying, you know, we were landing at midnight in Melbourne because we had to fly back the same day. And it's one of those things where Everyone needs to make sacrifices and everyone is making sacrifices to make this competition work, to make sure we get the games in, to make sure things are moving along so that we are able to complete a full season. And everyone's aware of that and everyone wants that. But like you said, money. these are still semi-professional athletes and if there, there needs to be either more support, better support, some sort of concessions so that we aren't forcing these semi-professional athletes to travel at inconvenient times. Like I can't imagine, like if someone had to go to work after flying in midweek or on the weekend, landing in the middle of the night, that's unfair. That's just, that is too high an expectation on these athletes who are already being asked to do so much more than they are being supported with, if that makes sense. So I understand, and I want to continue acknowledging that it's a difficult situation and a difficult season that we're in, but that doesn't mean we need to make things even worse for these players. I just think there needs to be some sort of wiggle room here to allow this situation to be slightly better than it is. If that means a 6am flight instead of a you know 2am flight is it still an ungodly hour yes but it's slightly more human and i think it's just that little bit better makes this whole situation a little bit easier for these players cuz uh, yeah uh, landing at 4am or midnight or any time kind of any time you should be sleeping is is not it and it's especially not it for these for these players and these athletes considering their are standing and what they're what they're being asked to do versus what they're actually being compensated.
0: Yeah and especially after they've literally had COVID like I had COVID what three weeks ago now and I went on the exercise bike this morning for five minutes like we're asking so much of these players that are coming off being ill so just wanted to also add that.
1: We're going to talk about something else that didn't impress me It was the interior cruciate ligament in the knees of two players this round, six players for the season, seven players for the year, where it's, I hate that we have to talk about it, but we do because it's just such a frequent occurrence. So, unfortunately, Gabby Collingwood and Jade Progelli have Their ACLs confirmed as torn. That's their seasons done. Their years basically done. Gab Collingwood, the story absolutely sucks. It's her second knee Rico or going to be a second knee Rico back to back. She did her knee the other knee in 2020 was on the sideline for over 700 days this was her comeback and she's unfortunately gone and wrecked her other knee so we absolutely hate to see it it's just awful awful stuff second lion to go down as well behind kate lupkins which is just a real blow to the brisbane setup and then obviously jade Progelli, gold coast sun you saw it in the vision it was also the knee that was heavily strapped from memory so you just you hate to see it they know you watch them go down and you know that they know and it's just the worst the worst thing to witness because you know that it's it's the worst possible kind of scenario and situation because there's been so many this season I think the AFLW injury report said that there was a decrease in ACL injuries last season which is obviously a positive but 2020 was a bad year for many reasons, but a bad year for ACLs. 2019, there were a fair few as well, and now this year we're up to, like I said, six in-season plus Tiana Smith's in the preseason. We know that women athletes are more likely to injure their ACLs. That's now a well-established fact. We know that biomechanics, the hip-to-knee ratio, means that there is a kind of predisposition or an increased likelihood of knee injuries. That's a fact. I think now the conversation needs to kind of turn to, so what are we doing to minimise the rate of injuries? What are we doing to increase prevention measures? What are we doing to make sure that we can get this number way, way down? Because it just feels way too high at the moment. And what other factors besides the kind of biological ones are there that we can control? Because obviously we cannot control length of bones and hip to knee ratio and things like that. But the things that are within our control, are we doing as much as we can within those spaces to reduce the incidence of ACL? Because this is unsustainable. It's unfair. And we can't keep expecting these part-time athletes to basically not lose a year of their lives, but pretty close to it. Because as we've discussed previously, it doesn't just affect their footy. It affects their work. It affects their family life. I think I was reading Ash Brazel, you know, couldn't hold her son because it hurt because she couldn't like put the weight on the knee or whatever it was. It's It's too big a problem and it's frankly too frequent a problem for us to not start having more of a conversation about what we're actually doing to prevent these injuries and whether that's at club level, whether that's at the AFL level and what they're doing in order to support these athletes better to implement prevention strategies. Some people have suggested that the part-time nature is a factor in the occurrence of these injuries, is it also what's happening outside of the kind of very, very short window of the AFLW season at local footy clubs, at community level, at, you know, if these players don't play footy during the off-season, are they still maintaining these kind of regimens and prevention strategies to ensure that they are ready once they do enter the AFLW space? I don't know. I don't know if I'm being impatient and there are prevention strategies in place that aren't going to bear fruit for a few years or whatever, but I just think there's too many happening and we need to collectively start moving the conversation from, oh, but women are just more likely to injure their ACL too. And what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it beyond that fact?
0: Yeah, you've nailed all of that on the head. As you say, it's too big of a problem. And it's too frequent of a problem. The fact that we have more ACLs done this season than rounds is so telling. And we just need to get dedicated people to look into this. Because, you know, you and I aren't going to have the answers. We can look into it and we can discuss it. But at the end of the day, you need dedicated people who understand who who can understand the problem and then understand how to prevent them. Because as you say, at the moment, we are asking too much of these athletes to put their whole bodies on their line in a way that ACLs are just happening at a rate that is, it's, it's unforgivable. I think I really do to watch these players go down like that and have their whole seasons and their whole lives really taken away. Something's got to, something's got to happen.
1: One point I forgot to mention, which just it reappeared in my head, Erin Phillips' chat on the W podcast over at the ABC and how she was saying the players have limited access to gyms and facilities because of COVID things. Is that playing a role? She was also saying that, you know, there was only one or there was limited medical staff and there wasn't enough for the whole squad to be receiving maybe the best possible or the optimum amount of time and care from these medical professionals is that a factor because if those things are part of the reason they can be fixed and that's not necessarily something the players can fix themselves that's you know people much higher than higher up than them with bigger pay grades than them both at club level and at afl level so like i said the conversation needs to shift to what, what more can we do, what other factors are contributing to this, and how can we change them, the ones that can actually be changed? Because we know that there are prevention strategies in place that can reduce the incidence, and I think that's that's something we need to aim towards because six... six Seven, it's it's too many. The, the closer we get to double figures, it's just way too many. It's, it's yeah.
0: I could not agree with you more. Do you have a handy point for me?
1: I sure do have a handy point for you. We alluded to it last week because the story kind of broke last week about Hanin Zreka's decision to not run out for the Giants because of their pride jumper. We said that we wanted to wait to see if it actually eventuated because when we recorded and mentioned it, it was a a report. It hadn't been officially confirmed. Obviously, it has been. She didn't play. There's been a lot of reaction and conversation about it. And I think one of the pleasing things, and you will obviously elaborate on this, is who's been allowed to kind of dictate that conversation and who's been allowed to take up space in this conversation. I think that's a really important thing that has happened. So talk to us about the Haneen Raker decision and what's eventuated.
0: Yeah, so when this was announced last week, it was pretty disappointing uh, and that was expressed by a lot of the community and a lot of fans, but there's a lot more to it than, oh, this decision is made that we don't like or we don't agree with. And it's really dangerous when decisions like this or when things like this occur and then they exist within social media because I was so curious to know how the community felt about this. And, you know, you and I spoke off mic last week that we were so worried that this would spur on hateful commentary, especially towards the Muslim community, and that is absolutely not what we wanted to see. And so watching just social media just take down this person wasn't very pleasant. And it's not the way to go about it. The way to go about it, and we are so lucky for this person, is that Rana Hussein, who is part of the AFLW community, she's worked in diversity and inclusion within the system. She's also a massive fan of the game and a beautiful writer. She wrote a column in The Guardian about this issue. And in 800 words, she grappled with it for us. And as a Muslim woman, who is a part is so entrenched within this community and cares so deeply about it. We are so lucky to have her and to have her explain this out for all of us. And one of the things I've really liked about this piece and I would highly recommend that you go and read it if you haven't. She talks a lot about how at the heart of inclusion is respect. And so it's 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 taking these complex issues around faith and identity and sexualities and and treating them with considerate and respectful conversations and that is what the Giants have done. We are not in the Giants camp we are not in those rooms we do not know how the conversations went down but from the outset it seems like it has been just conversations with between the players between the staff and everyone has kind of been included in that conversation which is what inclusion is about and Rana also what I really liked about this piece was we don't exist in binaries I think it's so tempting when someone does something or when anything occurs to be like that's a good decision that's a bad decision this is a good person this is a bad person but that is not the world that we live in and there's a lot there's a lot of complexity within this issue around performative activism about you know the leftists just being like Okay, well, if you're not in, then you're out rather than treating this with all of the gray area that exists. And so I would really highly recommend you go and read it because her words would do more justice than me talking about her words. But I just wanted to say how incredibly thankful I am that we have people like Rana to grapple with these issues because, you know, you and I, Marissa, as non-Muslim women, we don't really understand We just don't and we're not going to treat it with like the amount of consideration that it deserves. And I'm always hesitant to recommend something that hasn't gone out yet, but the Outer Sanctums fifth quarter episode this week, which drops on Friday, uh, features Julia Kiara and Rana Hussein explaining this issue out with each other. And I think that this will be so important for us all to listen to and I'm so excited to hear it because as... Emma Ray said on the Outer Sanctum when, you know, it was announced that that's what the fifth quarter episode would be about, we don't have conversations about people without them in it. So you've got a member of the Muslim community, you've got a member of the LGBTQI community discussing this issue together in what I very much assume, I almost can guarantee will be a very respectful and considerate and smart conversation so always hesitant to recommend something that hasn't gone up yet, but I can I can guarantee this will be worth your listen. So head to the fifth quarter by the Outer Sanctum if you do want to know more about this. And if you're a part of the AFL community, you you should.
1: It's a it's a hearty recommendation from me as well. I think it was really important just the how vital diverse media is. Because can you imagine if this conversation was only written about by straight white men? Disaster. Absolute disaster areas. Because there is breadth and depth in the views and writers of the footy, the AFLW community particularly, we have not only intelligent articulate muslim women able to explain this to us and rana's piece it's a second you know seconding seconding how good of an article it was and there are other writers um who are muslim who have also written about it and i think it's so important that we have that perspective but it's just as vital that we get the the views and the takes of the lgbtqi plus community as well because they are a part of this conversation and i think their disappointment in Hanin's actions is still incredibly valid, even if there is that layer of complexity to it. So I think just the fact that we now have people who can, obviously they represent the communities, but they aren't the only voice of these communities, but that they can have this conversation with their lived experience is so important and just makes the entire conversation better, more, Considerate, thoughtful, and ultimately beneficial conversation to have because these women and these groups are actually discussing themselves and it's not some randos just hashing out a thousand words about whatever they think is right despite having no lived experience. So there was. Like I also that. don't want to
0: see, you know, straight white women with all of their takes as well. So as much as I can, I just want to be listening to the other voices and then, you know, kind of directing in their direction, because the last thing we need is people who are outside of these communities giving their hot takes when they don't understand. anything.
1: Absolutely. One final thing on, it's it's not about this specifically, but it's another pride round thing. The handy point has been very pride round thing the last couple of weeks, but West Coast CEO Trevor Nisbet came out and wrote uh, an email, I think it was, to fans and basically said, we got the Pride jumper thing wrong. So that has now, I think, officially closed that chapter. If they had said this earlier, (laughs) perhaps this chapter could have been finished even earlier. And, of course, if they had simply made a jumper, this chapter wouldn't have been written at all. But... We we go on. Let's look ahead to the next round. I'm going to say these fixtures. I fear I've either missed one or I've read one that's been postponed. So I'm sorry in advance, but this is what Google is telling me is coming up for us. So we've got Geelong taking on West Coast. Surely a Geelong win. Yeah, please a Geelong win. Uh, No no
0: shame, no shame. No shade to West Coast. I think they also probably really need a win, really need some momentum in that camp. But Geelong is so ready for this win. And I think the community, the fan base, we're so ready for this win. They've come so close so many times. Yeah, Geelong win.
1: I muted myself. We've also got... Lions, Collingwood, so that's very interesting, very interesting. Giant Saints has been postponed, according to the old apparu. Melbourne Suns, this one intrigues me in that Melbourne need to bounce back, but Gold Coast are, you know, maybe not at the level, but they've definitely got some confidence, so I'm looking forward to that. We've got Dogs, Tigers, Carlton Crows, North Frio, North Frio, I think is another one that we'll definitely have an eye on. Any of those really like tickling your fancy?
0: When I first looked at the list, I was like, that one, also this one, also that one. So I've only written three, but only, I've only written three. But oh my God, that Melbourne Suns, I'm so excited. I really hope it's not a blowout. I have tipped Melbourne, but I do think the Suns will be competitive. But the ones I'm most looking forward to are Lions Collingwood. Collingwood will be looking for another win, especially after that loss against Freo. Lions are looking so tough, so competitive. They've got such a strong fit out and their pressure, their pressure is just remarkable. And that's what really got Collingwood against Freo. So that'll be a really interesting matchup. I'm so excited for North and Freo, that will also be such a such a good one. I've really, I really hope it's a close one and it is a bit of a tight tussle because you've got North showing how competitive they are. They're in the top four now. They just want to kind of keep pushing. But Freo, definitely at the top of their game. And then Adelaide and Carlton. And from the outset, you'd be like, okay, well, this looks like Adelaide will just have it all over Carlton. Adelaide have come and said that they're not going to treat you know, the blues is an easy win in any regard. They might be seen as the underdogs, but they are definitely considering them as a threat going into this game. And Carlton is going to be, you know, so ready to show their competitiveness, especially after everything we've talked about, about how they've been considered somewhat disappointing and they've had all these fixture changes, they've had all this disruption. I'm so, and I'm so Just excited to see that midfield playoff with Prasparkas and Marinov Hatchard in there. It's going to be a good one.
1: It absolutely is. I definitely have my eye, obviously, on North Freo. That's going to be really telling for both of their seasons. And obviously Collingwood Pies is kind of the same deal. Can Collingwood bounce back? Can the Lions kind of keep building on what they're doing? For me, the kind of... Best of the rest, it's going to be another game that really sort of lets us know where these sides are at. Dogs Richmond. We were talking about it before we hit record. Richmond absolutely blew us away opening round. Incredible game, incredible win against the Saints. But haven't really, like they've been good without getting the wins. There's obviously talent there. Moncon's a freak and we absolutely love to watch her play but they haven't been getting the wins. Dogs, meanwhile, also haven't been getting the wins, have had that COVID disruption, but were very competitive against Freo. We we spoke about it off air as well, how much of that was down to the fact that both of those sides had quick turnarounds and the tired legs kind of maybe even things out. But I'm really interested to see where these two sides are at against a really maybe obvious competitor like is Richmond actually really good against teams that are below them and maybe it's they're kind of very obviously mid table and are able to dunk on lower sides or are the dogs actually building into something and COVID's just really disrupted whatever they were kind of trying to build before they got hit with this outbreak so I'm going to be watching that one with interest just to kind of sus where these sides are actually at and again as we discuss whether their ladder position kind of accurately reflects what they're doing so that's that so much footy to look forward to it starts very soon because there's just footy on all the time so get your eyes around it get your eyes around Marnie's writing on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app you can check out all her work there Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to get your tips in and we'll see you next week.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes
1: by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.